0: For the Agile community, www.agile.fm Welcome to another episode of Agile FM. Today I have Richard Kasparowski with me. He's a speaker, author, instructor. He's out of Boston, uh, Boston area. His email is uh, r at kasparowski.com. I'm just going to spell that out quick, K-A-S-P-E-R-O-W-S-K-I, because that is um, a uh, different name, right? Um, Twitter is easier. (laughs) You made it much easier, R-K-A-S-P-E-R. Richard, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: You're also a podcaster, so this is podcast to podcast, right? (laughs) And uh, we want to uh, talk a little bit about some topics here today. Um, you have two books out there people can uh, easily find and they can also find the links on the show page on agile.fm one is called the high-performing teams uh, the foundations and you have the core Protocols: a guide to greatness and you obviously give great credit here to michelle and jim mccarthy
1: oh for sure it's 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 their work i'm 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 doing it everything i can to spread their work Uh, Michelle
0: and Jim also have podcasted with me a while back. I think I have to re-release that episode. Uh, You know, some moments you will never forget. That's one of those. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, let's let's get started talking about some of the topics. Obviously, we'll see how things uh, how we how we do in terms of the topics. There's so many things we can talk about. Um, But uh, let's get started on your blog, actually, on your website, which also is linked on the show page uh, for people easy to find. Um you mentioned that you did some uh, tandem cycling last summer. Oh sure. <laughs> and um, and you relate that somehow to teamwork. How is that?
1: Yeah. Well, uh so the story of the tandem cycling is uh uh, b- before we Before we went on air Joe, I was uh, telling you about this this nice woman that I met about six years ago who is now my wife, mm-hmm. and uh, that was the origin story of the the photo of me with the the love sculpture in the background mm-hmm. uh, she She guided me toward this great museum in in New Orleans it had an outdoor sculpture garden that 's where that particular love sculpture was mm-hmm. uh, I took a selfie, sent that back to her and i i just uh, you know decided that one of the things I wanted that, that the thing I want to do in life is spread love and, mm-hmm. and that's that's sort of why that became my, uh, my my profile photo for all occasions even even business um, our first summer vacation together I guess right after that we uh, she, she noticed that I like cycling. So she proposed a cycling trip Mm -hmm. and, uh, and she sort of found all the, found all the people and made all the arrangements. And we took this great cycling trip along the Loire river Valley in France. Mm -hmm. Um, now the thing about it was that, you know, I'd been cycling a lot, so I was in good cycling shape. Uh, and, um, and I felt a lot of pressure. Like I, I was, I was the stronger cyclist, and, and so I was typically in front. And I was, so I was doing the navigating, and I also had to like go slow enough to make sure we were together. Mm-hmm. If we made a wrong turn, oh, you're on a cycling trip that's like a couple hundred miles. You make a wrong turn, and, and you go like ten miles out of the way. That means you have to go ten more miles to get back to where you started, and it turns a turns a nice cycling day into a, a longer than you hoped for cycling day. <laughs> uh the next summer well was it the next summer uh along the way we we had some friends who who organized a cycling trip to uh one one of the islands off uh, the coast of rhode island Mm -hmm. and um and we rented a crappy tandem for the day it was like rusty and 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 the crank barely turned and we had a blast Mm -hmm. and and so the following summer we spent a week on a tandem uh, and that that week on the tandem was uh, along the Adriatic seacoast. We went from Italy to Slovenia to Croatia um, And we learned a lot about each other as people by sitting on the same bike with each other uh, mm-hmm. for for a whole week um, if, if 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 you've ever ridden a tandem, you, you know that the cranks are actually connected to each other so so when when I'm pedaling she's pedaling when mm-hmm. i'm stopping she's stopping when i'm shifting gears because of this she has to know that i'm shifting gear or else her feet will fall off the pedals mm-hmm. uh she has to know that i'm about to stop pedaling or her butt will fall off the pedal mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like she'll she'll keep putting force on her feet and her her her, her hips will rise right. and, and she might fall uh if we're turning she has to lean the same way as me to make sure that the bike actually turns and doesn't go forward uh, if we're going straight, she has to make sure she's not leaning to one side or else we'll start turning there's There's all these little things about controlling the bike together safely and effectively mm-hmm. uh, that that we, we we discovered we had to talk to each other a lot, and all it was right. great we actually like we actually like talking to each other <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so i i I define team as any group of two or more people aligned with a common goal all right so so Molly and I. Two people. That's that's a team. Mm-hmm. Common goal. Uh, the common goal on the bike is is easy and obvious. Uh, you know, we, we want to get from here to there, and we want to do it. Uh, we want to feel good while we're doing it, right. and 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 love each other while we're doing it. Love each other by the time we get to the destination. Right. Uh, so, the on the bike on the tandem, uh, we are uniquely single vision like like we are seeing the same thing we are going in the same direction uh, we have exactly the same goals for the day uh it, we're we're experiencing the same things uh-huh. uh you know over and over everything we're doing it's the same thing uh the same experience for both of us you're even when, you're, you're, when I want to go faster, I have to tell her. When I want to shift gear, I have to tell her. We have mm-hmm. to. We have to. We, we get into this mode of really, really high frequency communication with each other uh, that I, that I haven't experienced in a lot of other in a lot of other relationships with anybody. Mm-hmm. So, so it's it's awesome. Riding a tandem is a is a great example of teamwork. Okay. The funny thing people say that tandem cycling is. Uh, Uh, some people look at us on the bike, you know, married couples or or unmarried couples. They look at us on the tandem and they're like, oh, we could never do that. That would (laughs) hurt for us. And and, and so to me, it's kind of like a test of of how good your team is or how good
0: your relationship is. Absolutely. And you're not only you, you're sharing the same goals and, and the experience, you're also sharing the same potholes, you know, you're going through the same potholes, um, Whereas if you would be on two bikes, you you know you might not have that shared experience. So there's a lot of that. Now what's interesting is um, you you just mentioned um, two or more people is a team. Mm-hmm. When I when I stand in front of people, I I often refer to it as three or more. Um, yeah. I say two is a pair, not a team. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, but obviously there's something about communication channels, right? And, and what you just said, there's very fast communication, obviously on a tandem and that's sometimes, sometimes needed, uh, sharp turns, et cetera, right? Obstacles. And
1: and sharing what we're good at with each other. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm good at piloting the bike. Uh, she's great at navigating. Turns out I don't have to think as hard. Like, Mm -hmm. like we're actually sharing the responsibilities We're we're actually a team when we're doing that together. Very cool. Um, So
0: I invite everybody to go to that site, get a little bit more reading on (laughs) on the Tandem experience. But I want to touch a little bit on another topic. I I watched a video of uh, yours and I think it was an agile gaming conference, Uh Um, maybe in India possibly. Okay. Um, And you did some really um, interesting uh, (laughs) self-organization exercises. Sure. Um, you do a lot of those um, games, Agile Gaming Conference. There's also one in um, up in Boston. I'm not sure if you're
1: yeah. uh, part of that. Why, I'm what? very much part of that. I'm, I'm on the board of directors of Agile New England, and awesome. we produce that conference along with the Mob Programming Conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I know a few people from uh, that include games. I, I have games in my courses, workshops, etc., all the time. But I want to hear from you, um, obviously. Why do you think it's so important that, that games are part of our... Uh, work experience, not
1: only after
0: work experience.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I guess games are good, right? Games are games are things that you do voluntarily. You do them for fun. Uh, you know, sort of sort of quoting Dan Mezick's spiel about games. Uh, they're voluntary. You have fun. There's a there's an easy way to gauge progress and, and so on. Um, ga- games. In 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 Agile, we use them for a couple of things, right? We use them for teaching Agile, and we use them for getting work done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, as far as you know, getting work done, we've got these these games, these activities. Well, like like Scrum itself is a game. A lot of people are using Scrum to get their work done. If you look at the first, if you look at the title page of the Scrum Guide, it, it actually says it's the, the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. Right? So Scrum is a game that people can play at work to get stuff done. Uh, We use other games at work like planning poker and, you know, there's a lot of other activities that people can use to help them get their work done. Mm -hmm. And then for learning, you know, um, if you you look into the pedagogy literature, uh, one of the one of the great ways that people actually learn things in a way that they can use the skills later on is to experience the skills. Uh, So a lot of what we do with uh, with with agile games in a class setting is to give people experiences uh, that 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 really trigger trigger things deep in their body, maybe trigger emotional responses, trigger things in a way that they can use what they learned later on in their in their work or in their life. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
0: So from a from a playful perspective, right? So um, there is obviously some some of the games uh, I have seen they're going very very playful. Mm-hmm. Um where you, where you as an instructor really have to take Sometimes things back and you know make a reference back to the workplace. (laughs) (laughs) It's like how does this even relate? Um, So, how do you feel about those games? Also, like um, very, very playful, where some adults you know feel like, okay, where's this going? Why are we Uh doing this? Right? Um, How do how do you feel about that?
1: I I I feel great about it. Um, You know, if if you look at when, if you look at the best learning environment best learning environments. The best learning environments are kind of like kindergarten,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? This is this is where people are, are learning at incredible velocity. And they're not just sitting in a chair being talked at. They're, they're, they're creating things. They're, they're, they're making art. They're, they're writing the letters of the alphabet. They're singing songs together and, and using hand motions as they sing the songs together. They're using... All of their body, all of their mind, all of their soul to learn. And, and it's fun. And, and, it, and it seems like as we get older, that, that fun starts to leave education and people start to dislike mm-hmm. learning because of this. You know, like learning is boring, is, is what a lot of people end up, end up learning about, about school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, whatever we can do, to help people have a, a positive experience, to, to sort of ignite their, ignite their brains in a positive way, mm-hmm. uh, opens them, actually opens them up to learning and, and, and actually helps them retain and, and reuse the skills later on. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, this is a great
0: confirmation for everybody out there listening to this, play some games, tie them back to work, obviously, or use them at least as a serious icebreaker um, so
1: that people see the, the, the need for playing yeah. games, even if it's just scrum, right? Yeah, and, and an important part of any, any activity that you do in a, in, a, in a classroom or, you know, an important facilitator skill is, is anytime you do an activity, you, you debrief with the participants at the end. Mm-hmm. And as the, as the learning facilitator, you can use that debrief time to to tie things back to how this is a useful skill for work and, and and why that was a why that was an important way to spend five or ten minutes in the class mm-hmm. yeah definitely um
0: let's let's touch on a few other topics as well here i mean we could we could go very deep on <laughs> any of these topics and maybe that is something we have to do at a at a later point in time which just pick one and do another recording and just take a deeper dive but i just want to also showcase your breadth of uh, work here and uh Maybe we just go to the core protocols quick. Michelle, we mentioned them earlier. Michelle and Jim McCarthy have been instrumental. I'm pretty sure you have met them. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there is, I have, I have to admit, have not read the book, right? But um, I do want to um, just see from your perspective how, because Michelle and Jim are not necessarily connected uh, 100% to the the Agile community. They're driving the core protocols, right? But what I would be interested in from you, um, obviously, maybe there's uh, material in the book, how, does, how, do, how do the core protocols connect with the Agile world? Why do you think they're so interesting <clears throat> and powerful that you actually wrote a book about it?
1: Yeah. Um, let's see. So how does it connect with the Agile world? Um, agile. Is well, you know, if you look at the Agile Manifesto, it's got a list of four values there. It's about individuals and interactions as, mm-hmm. as something very important. Mm-hmm. It's about working software as something very important, and, and sustainable pace, and, and all these sorts of things in, mm-hmm. the, in the values and principles of the Agile Manifesto. Sure thing. The uh, the origin of the core protocols is is embedded Im- in exactly those same sets of values and principles. Uh, so the, 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 origin of the core protocols goes back to work that Jim and Michelle are doing at Microsoft. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of funny. I, I just watched a video that, that Jim produced back in 1995 about sort of, sort of telling some of the, sharing some of the early ideas be, before this was even encoded in what they called the core protocols. Mm-hmm. It was, it was all about getting group of people aligned on what they want to build getting people into a state of shared vision so that they're all working on the same thing together Mm -hmm. that's one thing another thing is it's about releasing everybody's genius everybody's intelligence and collecting it together into an aggregate genius In this in this video i saw last night jim talked about you know there's a there's a guy on the team his iq is maybe 120 that's that's really good right Mm -hmm. But there's 150 people on the team. So we don't want just that one person doing all the design and architecture. We want all 150 people doing it. And and then we end up with like a a team IQ of like 7,000, right? Mm -hmm. That's actually what we want, like this super, super genius working on this product, getting it done, getting it done really well, getting it done on time. Uh, and, and the third thing was that they, they noticed it's, it's not just about being aligned on, on the work. It's about being emotionally connected to each other and to the work. And, and when they, when they connected all those things together, that, that team that they worked with at Microsoft was incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. Like as, as a team, uh, you know, people still talk about them today. And as a product, people still talk about the product they built. So it was like, successful in a historic sense even. Mhm. Uh, and, and that was the origin of the core protocols. And, and and it so so it it really developed in this in this atmosphere of great software development and delivery. And and that's what agile's about. So you know, it, they it's the same thing or at least it's it's very very congruent. Yeah. So really going into the
0: direction of swarming as a team or cross-functional teams. Um, yeah, re- really connect with the with the core protocols, you yeah, right?
1: Yeah, and, and you know, look at Scrum. Scrum. One of the things that that you get from Scrum is the ability to deliver a working product very frequently, like every since whatever that is for you, maybe every week or two weeks. That was their goal. Mm-hmm. You know they, this was before this is before uh, the Agile Manifesto. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, it's sort of pre-Agile, or it's one of the one of the seedlings that that flourished as Agile. Yeah. Uh, they, uh, Jim and Michelle wrote a book called dynamics of software development in which they shared a lot of these ideas. Uh, and, and if you go back and read that book, it's, it's from the nineties. So mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of historic in one sense, and it's very current and relevant in another sense that mm-hmm. the things they talk about in that book, it's, you know, about shared vision and good technical skills. And, and if you look at the, the state of the team, the state of the team is reflected in the state of the software. Oh yeah. Right? yeah, and if you look at the state of the software, it's exactly reflected in the state of the team. You know, these mm-hmm. these are these are ideas that um, that all of us who work in agile continue to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, some people are listening to this, and especially that statement you just made. There's a connect between the state of the software and the state of the team. Some people will uh, get nervous uh, thinking maybe about their own teams at this point. Right? Um, Michelle and, uh, and Jim, they, they released those core protocols. How is, how is your book in particular uh, an extension to that work? What is, yep. what is it you're taking? Um, like, I don't know if you're connecting it with the agile world, but what is the, the yeah. add
1: to the core protocols here? So the first book, I, I, I take their material, the core protocols, which they kindly GPL'd. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just I, I, I included the core protocols in the first book, and I added on a few protocols in addition to that mm-hmm. to uh, to help people uh, share the protocols with their team. And protocol and, you know, protocols it's, mm-hmm. it's really success patterns for, for, for high-performing teams of, of any kind, software mm-hmm. development or anything else. Uh, the second book is is much more expository it's it 's more about uh, the, the science and research on high performing teams and, and 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 a lot about like how and why it works and mm-hmm. and tips for for using these behavior patterns su- successfully with your teams mm-hmm. yeah um, maybe maybe we explore that topic a
0: little bit right so high performing sure. teams um, mm-hmm. so um, I think this is all, and, and, and thanks for Michelle and Jim to make the material <laughs> available, right? And uh, you know, while we're talking about it, I'm just, I just uh, think I have to re-release this episode with him, and her. Uh, for sure. Um, it's somewhere, you know, under a different label, and I want to, I want to re-release that for sure. Um, high performing teams. Yeah. Um, you have a workshop out there about high performing teams. Uh, when yep. we say high, right, obviously there's a little bit ambiguous, so is low, right? <laughs> <clears throat> Why don't we just take a stab at a little bit at that? Obviously the, the bar of high and low might grow uh, as an industry, also everybody might have a different uh, perception of high and low, but what is a high-performing team and uh, what does a workshop of high-performing
1: or increasing the performance on a team actually do? Yeah, so... We defined team. Uh, I define team as two or more people along with a sure. common goal. I you define go as with three. It's a group of people aligned <laughs> with a common goal. Uh, a high-performing team is one of those that is objectively better than other teams doing similar work. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, it's something you can observe. It, it's it's objective. I guess there's some subjective stuff that goes along with that as well. But it's something you could observe. It's something you could measure. Uh, and, and for teams doing similar work. So I don't know. So, so, you, so you probably wouldn't take a baseball team and compare them to a software delivery team, right? They're doing different kinds of work, mm-hmm. but you could compare two, two baseball teams and, and you could objectively determine which one is better. Like you could, you could look at their, their stats in, in the, in, on the SPN website, or you could have them play each other. It turns out they do this in sports, they play each other and they objectively determine which team is better, mm-hmm. uh, in software, You know, turns out there are some pretty easy ways to objectively gauge the performance of software teams, Uh, and and, you know, this is sort of thanks to the work that uh, Nicole Forsgren, Jess Humble, and Gene Kim have been doing with the State of DevOps report and with the book they 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 recently published uh, called Accelerate. Uh, So they've figured out from something like five or eight years of research from State of DevOps. Exactly how to measure the performance of software teams, mm-hmm. right? So there are four things that correlate really highly to high performance in software teams. Uh, those things are uh, frequency of deployment to production, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's a really easy way to gauge the performance of a software team. Right. Delivery lead time, how long does it take from commit to its deployment in production uh, the, the failure rate when you make a change, is it mm-hmm. successful? How success, how, what's, what's the rate of success? Mm-hmm. And then when you have a service problem, how long does it take to restore service? Mm-hmm. Right. So these, these four things, it's really like, uh, how long does it take you to deploy to production? How often do you do it? How long does it take you to fix a problem? and how frequently are your deployments successful, mm-hmm. right? Those four things are the objective measurements of software team performance. Mm-hmm. That's very concrete, uh, so, yeah. so if you're looking for a high-performance team and we're talking about software or, or some, some sort of digital product delivery, that's how you measure high performance, mm-hmm. right? So the, those those measures are like throughput, speed, uh, quality is, is included in there. Mm-hmm. These are the things we're looking for from, from high-performing <laughs> digital delivery teams.
0: Yeah. So, so you work on you know, moving the needle with, with clients on, on those four items. That's what high-performance Absolutely. workshops are, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then we've got some other things connected to the, 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 the general research on high-performance teams. Mm-hmm. So in the, in the more general business research and psychology research on high-performance teams, uh, we know that psychological safety Correlates to high performance mm-hmm. and and then of course to measure high performance. This is what the researchers do So they know that psych safety correlates to high performance right. And we know from the research that group emotional intelligence Correlates to objective high performance and there are ways to measure these things there are ways to measure psych safety and in ways to measure team EI mm mm-hmm. uh, Richard I think at this part of the
0: podcast. I think uh, what we can say after you just spelled out those four um, mm-hmm. Criterias if you will, one of them is not listed. And I think this is really important to spell it out because I'm getting these yeah. questions all the time. Not a way of measuring a high-performing team would be velocity, right?
1: So, yeah, you know, velocity is, a, is an interesting thing. Um, velocity, typically, the, the way most software delivery teams are using it, is it's the number of story points That's the team great. got done mm-hmm. per sprint, uh, okay, so story points are typically an estimate of how big the work is before you start doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so velocity, the way most teams use it, is a measurement of an estimate, right? And, right. And that, that, so that, that's, that's. Interesting, right off the bat, it's not really—it's uh, not really an output metric, anyway, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's certainly not a metric of value delivered to customers. Correct. All right. So I just want so, to make sure we so. can
0: bury this topic, right? Because you <laughs> yeah. know, because there's so many questions around this, and I, I feel like it's so repetitive. And I just wanted to start <laughs> it out. I think we're in alignment here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, if if, if it's all you got, okay, uh, but. It's pretty easy to, get to, to, to just walk into a place and ask these questions. Mm-hmm. How long does it take from when you type the git command and, and you commit your code? How long does it take from mm-hmm. that moment until it's deployed in a production environment? That's lead time. And people just have a sense. Yeah. It takes less than an hour. It takes a day. It takes a week. It takes a month, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever that is, uh, you don't even need precise measurements of it. People just have a sense of the timescale.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and that that's all you need to yeah. be able to gauge the performance of a, of a digital mm-hmm. delivery team. I think it also shows
0: uh, an additional element, right? All the metrics might not do. It also shows a little bit the environment, right, to... Mm-hmm. go live with something and release something frequently it also shows you something a little yeah. bit about the
1: infrastructure
0: and the environment
1: um absolutely and yeah and the repeatability of the deployment and the repeatability of the production environments and mm-hmm. yeah yeah and they, they've, uh, they've 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 they have data from many different kinds of environments you know everything from like uh uh, Netflix style, you know, h- hundreds or thousands of deployments per hour to uh, people doing this sort of work with legacy code on mainframes, mm-hmm. right? And and they know even on legacy code on mainframes, uh, there are high-performing teams that do right. that have lead time that's that's less than one hour and and, mm-hmm. and deployment frequency at least one deployment per hour and so on. Wow, awesome. Let's get back to that one
0: statement you made earlier um, about the connect between the state of the software and the state of the team. <laughs> and, let's, yeah. and let's say the state of the software is toxic. Let's say yeah. the, the team is toxic. How do, yeah. and let's say somebody's listening to our conversation here right now, and says, how would I, is there anything I can spot which really immediately tells me there is some um, toxicity going on in a team, or like some indicators where somebody, yeah, yeah, where we need to put people into a high-performing workshop.
1: Yeah, right. So, so people, I, I think people just know you can ask <laughs> Yeah. and if it's safe enough for them to say so, they'll tell you, uh, the, the way Jim McCarthy says it, team equals software is, is very similar to Melvin Conway's law from way back in 1968, uh, Organizations that design systems are constrained to produce the designs that are copies of the communication structures of those organizations. Right? Mm-hmm. The architecture of your code is the same thing as the architecture of your people structure. It, the, the relationships between code modules is exactly the same as the relationships between the people. Mm. If people are siloed and they're not allowed to talk to each other, you'll notice that the various components in, in the software are mm-hmm. siloed and don't communicate well with each other. Uh, if people are free to, to solve problems and, and, and just get stuff done you'll notice that the software does the same mm-hmm. uh, if, if the people if the organization is beautiful you'll notice you probably notice the software is beautiful both both internally and externally mm-hmm. uh, you, you can you can just ask you can measure these things right so like I said uh, uh, you, could, you could ask the people and if they feel safe enough they'll just tell you Um mm-hmm. uh, You can measure safety, right? Psychological safety. uh, People have been talking about this since the 90s at least. Uh, You can measure it. There there are easy, easy uh, survey-based diagnostics that you Mm -hmm. can use to measure psychological safety in a team or an organization. Uh, If you you measure it and it's low, well, you know, chances are your software teams are underperforming. Uh, Your throughput is low. The quality is low. Uh, just like the quality of the relationships in, in, in the in the team ma- teammates mm-hmm. is probably low, uh, you know these are these are good clues that you might want to do something like uh, like a workshop to to improve the performance of the relationships in the people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and this is kind of like what a what the high performance teams workshops that I run are, are about.
0: Mm. Negativity
1: on teams something I very often observe,
0: right? When yeah. team members or there is a team, but there is a team within the team, um, hmm. and uh, there's some negativity going on, right. sar- sarcasm and so on. When right? um, beyond, let's say, the humor uh, piece of it, which I would enjoy myself, but there's a limit to it, right? <laughs> right? On a
1: on a, <laughs> yeah. on a team, right? Um, yeah. These yeah, ones. like like how, how much time do you want to spend on negativity? You know, how much <laughs> energy do you want to put there? Uh, where we could be, instead, we could be creating together and creating something awesome that changes the world in some way. That's correct. Well, changing the world, I want to touch towards the end of our conversation
0: here, at least for part one here, um, with the, something I, I noticed on, on your side about open space. Uh, you seem uh-huh. to enjoy open space. I'm a big fan <laughs> of open space. You mentioned the name, Dan Masic, who was just recently on the show um, with OpenSpace Agility. Um, What attracts you to OpenSpace? The number of people who like OpenSpace is constantly growing, which is a good thing, I believe. Mm -hmm. But I just want to hear from you. Why why are you using this tool? What are you using it for? And
1: um, where do you see the opportunities? Okay, so OpenSpace. I use it for everything. Yeah. (laughs) Keeping, you know, just in general, keeping the space open, uh, keeping people available to each other, uh, giving people voice and this idea of equal uh, voice—that that's a characteristic of high-performance teams. When Mm -hmm. when people's voices are heard, when people feel safe sharing what they think and sharing their creative ideas, that's when teams are high-performing. Open space is one way to to sort of facilitate people into that state. Uh, so, you know, one one common use for it is as a way to run a conference or a session at a conference. This is great. Just a, a way to help people form community very quickly, to connect with each other very quickly and start sharing ideas and, 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 and growing that fresh community right away. Another way to use open space is to solve a problem that a, that a company has or an organization has. Right. So, so I, I help organizations solve problems using open space. I'm um, going to be working with a, with a client in a couple of weeks to, to help them collectively solve the problem of uh, they, they've they've gotten rid of performance reviews, and 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 they want to figure out well how to how to how to guide themselves to to grow their skills as individuals and as teammates. Right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to do an open space together to to solve that problem, mm-hmm. and and then you can just use it as a way to do work. Uh, so with one team that I that I managed a few years ago, uh, we we used open space for six consecutive weeks uh, to solve an important problem together, and, and kind of just. It was the way we did the everyday work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used open space as the way we did the everyday work for for a month and a half mm-hmm. right so lots of different applications what what I really love about it is that it works right. uh, it, it it helps people feel safe, it gives people voice, it connects people it it, it gets people it, it sort of induces people to share their best with each other and and get their best collectively as, as an organization
0: yeah. So um, use to problem-solve, maybe lead a team through some yeah. effort of building things. We're also using it for uh, conferences in New York, uh, quite a bit, and yep. that's an integral part of our um, conferences here in New York, people love it. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. it's application everywhere and uh, you know, with the uh, increasing amount of facilitators around the world, I think this is uh, probably a growing topic in the industry.
1: Yeah, and 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 there's actually no barrier to becoming a facilitator. Just right. just look up open space. Uh, if anybody wants a script to use, I have a script that I share with people. Awesome. You, you, just just follow the script and and you've got you've got open space happening. It's it's easy. All
0: right. Hey, Richard, uh, I just uh, think this is a good breaking point we covered a few topics around uh tandem cycling. Core protocols, (laughs) performing high-performing teams, uh, toxicity, open space. I think we we covered some ground here. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for having me. Awesome, and uh, for everybody out there, Richard Kasparowski, uh, his website, all available, all the links, his books, etc., on the Agile FM website. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.